Hey friends, welcome back to the Aspire podcast for season two. Patty and I are super excited to share a bunch of new stories with you all. And the first of which is Kelly Nicholas. Kelly Nicholas is a missionary to Japan. She's been a missionary with CMS, the Church Missionary Society, for four terms now. And we got to hear her story from being a student of Japanese in year 10 to going on an exchange in Japan to wondering if she was even the right personality fit for mission, being an introvert. She had heaps of really interesting twists and turns in her story, so I'm super excited to share it with you all. We met at a university conference a couple of years ago, Sydney Uni's Christian Group's mid-year conference called ANCON, and she was super encouraging. And sort of, I thought I'd send her an email and see if she was around, and she was super keen to come on and share her story. Hey, before we get into it, though, just wanted to say thank you so much if you've told other people about this podcast. Word of mouth, honestly, is the most powerful tool for growing the base of the podcast. So if you have enjoyed it, we would appreciate if you just told someone else who's interested in aspiring to ministry. That helps us a lot. Thanks so much. Kelly, really glad that you're able to join us. Uh, coming from Japan, you are working as a missionary over in Japan with CMS, the Church Missionary Society. And you've now been there for your fourth term. And so maybe just uh, to introduce yourself, do you want to tell us briefly a little bit about um, where you are based in Japan and the type of ministries that you're doing? Yeah, so I um, I live in Kobe in Japan, and it's actually a really lovely city. Uh, it's famous for its beef, <laughs> which as an Australian feels quite strange, but um, mm. it's, a, yeah, um, and it's situated between the mountains and the sea, uh, so it has lots of nature, which is not really everybody's image of Japan. I work with uh, university students. Uh, the group's called KGK, so it's the uh, same kind of thing as AFES in Australia. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, and I just, you know, hang out with students, read the Bible together and encourage them to serve God. That's, you know, what I do. <laughs> That's fantastic. Now, I thought it'd be, it's really, we're really thankful that you're able to uh, be on the podcast from Japan. So thank you for your time this evening in Japan. Um, maybe tell us a little bit about uh, how you became a Christian and um, maybe some of the uh, ways in which you were then sort of helpfully influenced towards ministry. Yeah, that's that's a big question, isn't it? <laughs> Where do you start? Yeah. So um, I guess, so I come from a a very nominal Christian family, probably, yeah, depending on your, your outlook, probably say a non-Christian family. Um, but I, um, myself and my sister went to Sunday school with our next door neighbour when, from when I was about five mm -hmm. years old. Um, both of my mm -hmm. parents had grown up going to church, but it was much more of a cultural thing. Um, and But my mum said she wanted us to decide for ourselves, whatever that meant. So she sent us along with our lovely next door neighbor who took us to church and to Sunday school. Um, and uh, for reasons that I guess God only knows, I continued to go even once I got to high school and uh, the pressures of Sunday sport and other things continued. I had great youth group leaders who taught me faithfully from the Bible. Uh, one lady in particular, mm -hmm. Mrs. Podger, uh, she was in her 70s at the time. And she just loved us so much, the youth group kids. Uh, 
she didn't put up with any garbage from us. She was fairly strict, but also <laughs> we knew that she loved us and she cared for us and she wanted us to know Jesus. And so we used to hang out at her house uh, and she she was like our surrogate grandma, uh, but she taught us faithfully yeah. about Jesus. And so that's kind of, I guess, <laughs> where it all started. Um, yeah, and uh, I guess through her influence, uh, I then... Yeah, through my relationship with her, I then, um, yeah, made a commitment to follow Jesus. And I guess the big thing for me was uh, I had learned all along uh, that Jesus was my saviour, but I hadn't quite clicked that he needed to be my Lord as well. And that kind of took until mm-hmm. I was in year 12 and I kind of went, oh, that's, that's what's been missing. And I heard a sermon one night that explained that clearly Um and I went home and I prayed that I would, uh, yeah, make Jesus both my saviour and my Lord. Um, so that was in year 12. It's yeah. oh, great. <laughs> yeah. Praise God for that. Um, were there particular challenges that you then sort of faced after school? Uh, did you go and study at university? Did you go and work? Did you go and do something else after school? And what was that sort of next phase of life like for you, particularly in terms of your sort of growth as a Christian? Yeah, so the next year, so I'd been a Christian six months. I turned up at uni and I was that first-year student who comes up to the, the the stall, the campus Christian group stall, and signs up for everything <laughs> in O-Week. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I just was hungry to, to uh, meet other Christians because there hadn't really been many Christians my age in my church. Um, and I went to the Bible talks every week and joined a Bible study, went to prayer meetings, training time, kind of <laughs> did everything and just sucked it all up. And, uh, yeah, God really used uh, particularly that first year at uni to help me to understand his word and to grow in my relationship with him. Um, and then in second year I actually ended up going on exchange to Japan. Um, oh, right. And so I was very thankful for my experience at uni in Australia because when I came to uni here in Japan, I actually couldn't find any other Christians uh, on my campus. So I'd been looking on notice boards, trying to work out, I wasn't quite sure how I was going to find them, but looking on notice boards, trying to see if there were any groups. And uh, the first semester I didn't find anybody. And um, I guess that first semester God really used because I didn't have any Christian fellowship, but I spent a lot of time reading the Bible and praying, which is what you're supposed to do normally anyway. <laughs> um, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I learnt, I guess, good habits uh, in relating to God because I didn't have anybody else uh, to be encouraged by. Can I ask, Kelly, why did you choose to go to Japan for your exchange? Did you know <laughs> that that was because you wanted to go and do mission over there or was it just because you liked Japan as a country? So I'd study, I started studying Japanese in year 10. Uh, and the reason I started studying Japanese is because I wanted to drop music and I didn't know what else to study. <laughs> and they just started offering Japanese at my school. And I thought, oh, that sounds interesting. So I started studying Japanese. <laughs> and then when I got to yeah. uni, I was studying education. And at that stage, there was a big push to teach was the start of the big push to teach Asian languages in schools as well as primary schools. And so mm. I thought, oh, you know, if I continue mm. with Japanese, then I've got good uh, prospects for a, a job after uni. So I continued studying Japanese. And then at uni, I actually, 
So it must have been halfway through my second year, just before I left for Japan, I failed my mid-year exam in Japanese. And then I got a phone call from the admissions office at uni saying, you've been accepted. Like I, I applied for the scholarship, but fully didn't expect to get it because my obviously my grades in Japanese weren't very good. And um, I got the phone call and they said, you leave in six weeks. Wow. And I freaked out. I'd never lived away from home. I'd never been overseas and I didn't even own a passport. And I was going to Japan in six weeks and I couldn't work out how to get out of it. So I went to Japan on exchange. <laughs> so, you know, God obviously had plans that I didn't know about. Um, yeah. But then the year there completely changed my life. So, you know, with the obvious things of living away from home, living in another country, meeting lots of other people. But um, God, yeah, challenged me to see that there is huge need for the gospel in other places that I hadn't realised before. To, to what extent was the um, time in Japan um, really significant in terms of God persuading you of that great need, particularly for Japan? Um, or was it that and or anything that you'd heard in the Christian group? Was the Christian group on for world mission? Had you heard it before going to Japan or was it after you got back? Do you sort of remember a time when there was a season of a talk or just a period of reflection in life where the whole idea of world mission was on your agenda and it was sort of a quite a persuasive moment for you in life? Well, I think it had probably started when I'd been on campus before I went to Japan. Mm. So one of the staff workers at that stage, he and his family uh, were in the process of applying to CMS and mm -hmm. going to work with students in Italy. Mm -hmm. So a big part of our campus uh, life was praying for them mm. uh, in their process of heading over uh, towards Italy to work with the GBU, which is the Christian group over there. Yeah. Um, so I think that was probably already there, but I hadn't really ever thought that that would be me. That was I was the one praying <laughs> for them. <laughs> that was yes. how it worked. Yeah, um, right. And then even when I came to Japan and seeing the the needs, yeah, I guess I guess that's kind of when it started thinking. Okay, well, somebody needs to come. Who's that going to be? Oh, oh, maybe that might have to. No, it couldn't be me. And like I think that was always the thing was. You know, that's I'm not going to be the one who goes. I'm the one praying mm. for the other people. Um, yeah. But it really did that year. Just the challenge. The second semester that I was in Japan, I actually ended up find, finding some other Christians on my campus, but they were all international students. Um, right. There weren't any Japanese students in the group. Um, and that kind of, yeah, <laughs> impacted me greatly. So. Kelly, you mentioned how that one year was like really transformational for you. Can you talk about the cross-cultural challenges you experienced in that first year? Because particularly, obviously, in your story, we're talking about aspiring into cross-cultural ministry, which isn't like mm. any other ministry. It's very different and perhaps more challenging in some ways. So tell us what it was like as someone who's from Australia, suddenly in Japan for a whole year. What was that? How was that transformational for you? Yeah. Well, I guess the big thing um, culturally, like culture shock wise is you can't, this is audio only, but I am six foot tall and I am extremely white. So I don't blend in in Japan at all. <laughs> and so uh, um, coming from Australia, especially if you live in a city, like there are lots of people who look different to you mm. and that's just kind of normal. Mm. Um and you can't really tell that somebody's from another country unless when they speak you can hear an accent or they can't speak English. 
Whereas in Japan, as soon as somebody sees me, they know I'm not from here. And so that that was really hard in the yeah. beginning. Like you can't just <laughs> have a bad hair day and blend in with everyone else. Everyone's not always looking at you. Like Japanese people are generally very polite and they're a little bit more subtle about how they look at you. <laughs> but you kind of know that they're kind of looking, thinking, oh, <laughs> there's a foreigner. Um, so I found that really quite difficult. Um in just being so different um, and trying to work out how you do that without, like, it can be one of those things that makes you very frustrated and and even angry sometimes that people don't accept you uh, as being different. Um, and that's kind of, that's the first kind of, that's when you hit about three months in and the culture shock hits. Mm. <laughs> that's when that kind of gets all a bit, a bit crazy. Obviously, you came back to finish your mm. studies. Um, and what was it like coming back into the Christian group, having spent a year overseas with uh, um, much less Christian fellowship, albeit obviously some international, other international students in the second mm. semester? But clearly the fellowship experience in Japan was very different to what you'd experienced here in Australia. What was it like sort of re-entering um, and joining the group again? And then I guess my next question is, how did sort of the rest of your time at uni really help keep shaping you towards having a vision for heading mm. overseas as a missionary? I think I actually experienced reverse culture shock much more than mm. I experienced culture shock. And I think that was mm. um, a big part of it was, you know, when I went to Japan, I was 20. And like I said before, I hadn't lived away from home. I hadn't been overseas. And so I went away for a year, had all these amazing experiences, met all these different people from all over the world, did a lot of traveling. And then I came back to Australia and I felt like everyone was doing exactly the same thing as when I left. And so I really struggled to yeah. fit back in and try and work out how I went back to kind of the life I had before, even though I'd had all this experience. Mm. Um, I was very thankful for a friend in the Christian group who had done a year in Japan a couple of years before me and it was really good to have her to talk to, to talk through that frustration um, and that actually that frustration can be a good thing, not feeling settled, feeling kind of uncomfortable even though you're in your own, back in your own culture um, and just mm. trying to work out how to communicate the things that I'd experienced in that year with my family and friends was really challenging um, and trying to be loving to them in the way that I did that rather than just getting frustrated with them uh, for not understanding. Um, but I think it also then pushed me into thinking about international student ministry uh, in Australia and how, because I had had that experience myself, how I could help out uh, with that ministry. So I got involved uh, in our international student ministry um, we didn't have a lot of Japanese students because, you know, there aren't a lot of Japanese students interested in Christianity, but but even with students from other countries being able to relate to just the whole experience of being away from home and, uh, yeah, welcoming them and encouraging them to check out Jesus was, yeah, a really great thing that came out of that. So you came back and started working with some international students who were Japanese. How did you then get to the point mm. where you knew you wanted to be a missionary to Japan? And where you started to liaise with CMS, what happened after 
then? Yeah, so I think it was through the international student ministry that I kind of saw that, oh, maybe I mm, I guess I need to probably explain a little bit about my personality. <laughs> I'm an introvert and I don't like standing up in front of people and giving talks and doing all that upfront stuff. So I always presumed that full-time ministry wasn't for me because that's what people in full-time ministry do. And so working with international students um, and leading Bible study groups and meeting up with students, you know, one-to-one uh, -one and things like that, uh, helped me to see that actually there are other elements of min ministry that actually I could do uh, that actually need to be done. Um, and so, uh, yeah, what, so by the time I got to graduating from university, I'd actually talked to our staff worker about doing a ministry apprenticeship, uh, mainly with international students, but also with some of the female, uh, like caring for the female staff on our campus female leaders on our campus. So, um, yeah, so that was kind of the next step, doing a ministry apprentice, actually having a go at some of those things more formally. Um, and basically my responsibilities were uh, caring for the female leaders uh, and leading some small groups, um, mostly small group and one-to-one -one stuff. So, yeah, which I discovered that I really enjoyed. <laughs> Um, theological, formal theological training was in the mix somewhere, I take it, before heading off to Japan in a full-time capacity? Yes. So I, uh, I originally talked to CMS uh, in my second year of my ministry apprenticeship and I, I was kind of hoping that they would say, yeah, no, we don't think this is for you. <laughs> I think that's what I, I think that's what I'd kind of hoped when I, I went up because I, I, lived, I lived in Canberra and so I drove up to Sydney to talk to CMS and I kind of said, and I'd heard that they weren't very keen on people being fairly specific about places and what they wanted to do. So I kind of sat down and I said, you know, I think I, I'd like to go to Japan and do student ministry and you kind of laid it all out and I was kind of hoping them saying, oh, well, no, we don't really want you to do that. And But they said, they said oh, well, we'd kind of, we'd need you to do some theological training. And I said, oh, well, I was kind of planning on doing that. And they went, oh, okay, we'll come back but to anyway. us once you're at college. I'm like, oh, drats. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, so I did. So then I went to more theological college um, and did three years. Um, yeah. I only did three because I, I thought, I knew I had a long road ahead after that of learning Japanese. I just wasn't mm. sure that I had you know, that extra year in me of seriously hard study. So, um, yeah. and I think I think I, I made the right choice. Um, although, yeah. you know, it sounds like yeah. a fourth year would be great as well, but I just thought in terms of that very intense study and, you know, Japanese is not the easiest language to learn, I thought I needed to, yeah, give myself a bit of a go. What were some of the um, challenges about doing ministry um, when you sort of arrived as a missionary in that sort of first term and being a missionary, what were some of the challenges about being involved in ministry over in Japan? Uh, in the first term, I didn't really get to do ministry because <laughs> I didn't understand what was going on yeah. most of the time. Uh, that I mean, that's yeah. not 100% true. Yeah. I, I didn't feel like I was really doing ministry. Um, so I was part of yeah. a local church and I'm very thankful for my mm -hmm. local church because they... When I think about it, the, 
the things that they let me do in those first three years, I wouldn't have let me do. Like, <laughs> like they really mm-hmm. didn't know me that that well. And like the things that they like, they let me give kids talks and teach the Sunday school teachers and all kinds of things, which obviously with lots of language assistance. But um, yeah, they were very trusting uh, of me, um, and they've been very loving and caring in the way that they've supported me and helped me. Um, I think, yeah, I wouldn't have survived those first three years without their love and care. So I'm very thankful to God for the Mm. church that he's placed me in. It's amazing that you came to CMS with that specific vision of wanting to work with students in Japan. For a lot of people, they won't necessarily have that specific vision Mm. of what they actually want to do in the country. They might have a country, they might not have a country. Mm. How did you know that you wanted to do student ministry in Japan, like specifically student ministry? Was it part of being over there for your exchange or? Yeah, I think it was just um, partly because of my experiences in student ministry in Australia, but also having been an international student, um, but just realising, you know, how important student ministry is. Um, like it just it just changes. <laughs> like it, you're just at such an influential time in your life. And um, I think also for Japanese students, it's really the one time in their life when they've actually got time to think through things. Um, that may be changing a little bit now because they seem to be a lot busier. But, you know, when they're studying, there's this culture of studying <laughs> in Japan where they're just studying for exams all the time and particularly for the, the exam to get into mm. the, the right university. Um, it's just insane. But then once they get into university, like they still have to study, but it's not that same kind of level. They have a bit of freedom, a bit of uh, room to move, and uh, that kind of gives them space, hopefully, to to hear the gospel. Uh, once they then graduate, they in, end up in their company with their crazy working hours or <laughs> those kind of things. So um, it, it just seems, I guess at that time, I thought this is really strategic in terms of reaching Japanese people. So, mm-hmm. What are some of the particular challenges that you're facing at the moment in terms of doing ministry to Japanese students? Yeah, I think, well, like everybody in the last year, the challenges have been trying to do everything online. Um, and it's interesting reflecting yeah. like where we were this time last year uh, and how little we knew about Zoom, <laughs> um, and like, <laughs> yep. yeah, we didn't realize all the things that we could do and how God was going to use that. So, um, like, even just the, the couple of conferences we've had in the last few weeks were just—they ran so smoothly. The students knew what they were doing. Um, it just—it just all flowed, and it, it was—it yep. was really encouraging. You know, like they've worked out how to relate to each other online. Uh, I think that was quite difficult in the beginning for all of us to work out, you know, when do you start talking and when does the next person start talking without being rude. And um, it's enabled um, some students to attend things who wouldn't have been able to attend uh, if in person because we have uh, our students gather from a very large area. So often sometimes, you know, they're travelling an hour and an hour and a half to come to our meetings. So um, that's been a real, real blessing this year. Mm. Students being able to attend. 
It's crazy, Kelly, how you've been able to continue to do missionary work in Japan during COVID while most of us are just locked home in Oz where it's not too difficult, like you're Mm. still over there on the field. So that's just amazing. I just want to thank you for doing that. It's incredible. Obviously, missionary work is is incredible. You say great fruit, but obviously there are tough times as well. And one of the things I'm always fascinated by overseas missionaries is how they push through those tough times, those low moments. Could you talk about some of those tough times that you've had on the field and how you pushed through? I think for me the toughest stuff was the first three years Um, because coming as a missionary, you expect the first year to be hard. Like that's just you've been preparing. You go, okay, I'm not going to understand. I'm not going to, you know, be able to speak to people. But, you know, you just work hard at your study. You work hard at getting to know people and it'll all be okay in theory. (laughs) Um, But I think with Japanese, uh, Japanese language is very difficult. And so after a year, uh, if you can have Mm -hmm. a very basic conversation, you're doing well. Um, And so like as a missionary, you have all these expectations of things that you want to do. You want to be sharing the gospel. You want to be sharing your life with people. And you're still only really able to talk about the weather and, you know, what did you do yesterday? (laughs) So that's... um, uh, that's really, really hard, I think. Um, and a big thing in, in Japan is uh, like the culture is just so different to Australian culture in so many different ways um, mm. and just trying to understand that. And um, people are very friendly and welcoming, but actually getting to a level where you can have a deep conversation just takes time. And so you've got to, like patience. <laughs> is a big thing and uh, I've never really been a very patient person so God taught me a lot of patience particularly in those first three years but even still now uh, working with students teaches you patience doesn't it <laughs> um, yeah so I think um, I think having realistic expectations is really important um, you don't want to set the bar too low but at the same time you don't want to set it too high because um, and tr- so trying to work out that balance can be a challenge, I think, sometimes. What advice would you give some of our listeners who are perhaps thinking about aspiring towards some form of global mission, um, particularly, say, those who might have either still be at university or just mm. finished university and have been working for you know, a couple of years? What sort of advice would you give them in terms of um, their consideration of going and possibly being a you know, global harvest worker somewhere? Mm. Yeah, I think um, obviously all all of the normal things, you know, keep keep praying about it, keep reading your Bible, keep going to church, uh, but talk to people uh, that you trust. So maybe your pastor or your staff worker, ask them what they think. Um, I think one of the really important things about mission is um, getting other people uh, on board is not quite the right word, but um, getting that confirmation that they think actually, yes, this is what God uh, wants you to do. Uh, so one of the great things about CMS, mm. I'll do my CMS plug now, but I, I'm still convinced like that a lot of people are scared off by the process of applying to CMS because it's very vigorous. But I actually mm. think it's really good. Um so there are lots of interviews and lots of discussions with different people. Um, but at the end, when it, it comes to when they say we think this is what 
uh, God wants you to do, it's actually really reassuring as a missionary because you go, okay, it's not just me thinking I can do this. It's kind of in my head. I've kind of got it um, happening. But actually all of these very godly people have spent time uh, praying and discussing and finding out about me and they actually think this is what God wants. So it kind of takes off some of that pressure of you deciding for yourself. Mm. It's actually a group, um, yeah, a fellowship decision. So um, I think mm. that, yeah. So it's that talking to someone like like CMS or another mission agency. Talk to them early um, because they can actually help you think through what you need might need to do or, or what steps you might need to take, um, yeah, in the next next step of the process super helpful kelly i might try mm. and throw in one last question with the time that we've got left i've got a lot of friends who are so interested in overseas mission but a lot of people just aren't sure where exactly to go any thoughts about how to figure out where exactly to go i know for you it was partly or it sounds like it was partly you were studying japanese you knew japanese so you were gifted to go to that place and then you oh, saw no 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 you... not gifted in japanese <laughs> don't, don't don't think that at all <laughs> okay but you had some exposure like how did, yeah advice yeah. for people who are like i want to do it but where yeah well i'm actually probably yeah fairly rare in that sense like they most of the people that i've met through cms a lot of them might have a country kind of in mind or they might have a kind of thing that they they're thinking about in mind but not a country. Um, I actually have friends who, when they turned up at St Andrews Hall, which is the CMS training college, they had really nothing. They said, we're happy to go where you want us to go <laughs> and do what you want us to do. And through the, the process of that training of the six months, that was then narrowed down to a country and a, uh, a job. Um, so you don't have to have all those things sorted out actually it's it's often better if you don't because mm. they may not actually work out the mm. way that you think they will interesting that's so not what i would usually think i usually think oh you need to know exactly what you need to do but you're saying actually sometimes it helps if you don't because then you can go where the need is uh that's really helpful advice yeah well like i only know about cms but the way that cms works is often like we have connections with different ministries in different countries and we often get requests for you know we really would love someone to come and help with theological training in our bible college or we'd love someone to come and help with this student ministry in this country that um yeah and often <laughs> we 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 can't actually help them because there aren't enough people who are saying yes i'll go send me so um it's actually, yeah, not a bad thing to not have it all nailed down because um, there's, you know, there's probably places and jobs that you've never even thought of that God might send you to do. Kelly, we really, really appreciate your time and thank you very much for joining us. Uh, thank you for the wisdom and insight and sharing uh, the way in which God's been working in and through you. And uh, we pray that the Lord would continue to do great things through the work that you're doing with the students in the KGK and with CMS. So thanks for your time tonight. Thanks for having me. I found that conversation with Kelly really insightful. Such wisdom from spending so much time in Japan and her road into going to Japan was super curious.
one of the things she did mention was the conversation she had with the mission agency who sent her CMS. It, it's one of those things, isn't it? Different mission agencies, it's an important conversation that people do have early on. They know who they're going with and what type of financial support they'll get and, and what's out there because I think a lot of people don't really know and, and are mainly thinking about where to go before they're considering who, will, might, who might send them. But in talking to her, it seems as though actually some agencies, it's helpful if you don't have a place in mind because they'll have particular places where they want you to go. So I think it'd be cool to just talk about mission agencies. So we mentioned CMS. There's obviously others out there. I went on my vision trip with SIM, who were fantastic. There's Pioneers. There's so many. What's this thing with YWAM? What, what can you say about just mission agencies in general having those conversations? Well, a couple of things to say. Uh, the first thing I'd encourage all of our all the people listening to do is to grab a biography of a missionary and just start reading. It almost doesn't matter which missionary it is. Just go and mm. grab a biography or a collection of biographies and read some stories about missionaries. Uh, it really just opens your eyes to um, partly the possibility of the gospel going out into unreached people groups and less reached and less resourced areas of the world. The 1040 window, just everywhere other than the area of the world that you sort of know. So that'd be, that'd be my first piece of advice. And sometimes when you read the biographies of missionaries, you just think, oh my goodness me, that sounds just frightening or scary or horrific or terrifying or how the heck do you learn to fix your own car, right? There's just all of these things that come to mind. But that's the reality of being on the mission field, right? You're out there. Mm -hmm. And this is why I think at the current state of evangelical Christianity, we ought to be so, so thankful that we have so many mission agencies that are working mm. so really hard to keep mission, global mission, particularly on the agenda and working really hard to try and provide great support for people out on the mission field. Uh, so that in some senses, the significant hardships and risks of missionaries in previous generations may be to some extent mitigated a little bit so that it may actually either prolong the life of our missionaries and or keep them on the mission field for longer, know that there's a lot of support for them. So that'd be the first thing I'd say. Um, I think the second thing to realise is that there is a range of mission agencies. They come from different um, you know, uh, perspectives. Uh, so they come from different countries of origin just in their own history and formation. Uh, CMS is the oldest mission agency in Australia. Uh, one of the, I think the first mission agency that was started um, uh, in Australia. Um, and uh, a number of mission agencies will often have different um, philosophies about mission. A number of different mission agencies will have different levels of support for the missionaries that they're sending. And some of them will have particular people groups who they would like to send missionaries to or particular parts of the world. And so I think that's why it's just worth people who are thinking about some sort of global mission, particularly outside um, Australia. Although having said that, there are some mission agencies that will do mission um, to some of the people groups in Australia. Um, I think it's just worth going and having a conversation with them. I think from memory, um, Kelly's advice is just go early, go and talk with them early, and they will tell you if you're too early, and they'll just say, look, come back in two years' time and let's have another chat. Um, better to do it early so that then you can get a bit of a feel for what their suggested pathway in terms of doing training, whether or not they really value ministry apprenticeships or not, um, what requirement they have for formal theological training. Do they expect three years or four years? Uh, for those 
um, mission agencies that are sending people to go and be theological lecturers in another country, they might say, well, you at least need a master's level qualification in, in theology. So that then sort of factors into all of your decision making about not only suitability, but also that sort of pathway to move into ministry. So I think go and have a conversation really early. Yep. Super helpful thing to do. I did it with a guy from SIM who was amazing. His name is Brett. Thank you, Brett, yeah. if you're listening. You're yeah. great. It was just a simple yeah. coffee, That's right. coffee chat. What are you thinking? What's on your heart? What do you think God's leading you? And just talking about what might be next and, and line me up with Vision Trip, and that was really great. So just going out and just contacting that agency, I think it would be a great thing to do. The other thing she mentioned as well was just how she prayed for that family who was a missionary family to the Japanese people, Lingams. I think that's another also helpful thing to do. So getting a family who's in a people group and just praying for them. So just looking at my desk here because I've got my microphone on my desk in my room and I can see the McIntyres who are also from Japan. I've got to be careful. Another family. I've got to be careful. I think I've got a family who's uh, confidential. Mm -hmm. But there's another one that's the Parsons and just praying for them Um, and Kelly as well I can see and some others as well. But just seeing them and being able to pray for them and Mm. definitely gives you that a stronger heart for the place where they're at. So I've enjoyed that and I think that's helpful advice from her as well. Yeah, and it it is um, often the case with numbers of missionaries who I've known over the years um, and have prayed for uh, that when they tell their stories, that in some senses them going as missionaries has been the answer to the prayers that they had prayed some years earlier, that God would raise up more missionaries for that particular people group or that particular country. Um, and so you've always got to be careful when you pray because... Sometimes the manner in which the Lord answers the prayers might be a little bit unexpected. That doesn't mean you don't pray. That means, if anything, you keep praying, right? And it's, uh, I think, a number of in a number of cases, uh, prayer is uh, not only the means by which we talk to God, but prayer is also the means by which we actually are reminded of the plans and purposes of God, and we grow in our heart to become more like Him. So I think praying for the lost is one of the means by which God will then use that to grow our heart, that our heart might be more like God's, that we might love the lost. Um, mm. So I think it's great to just get together with some friends and start a prayer group if there's not one that you know. If your church doesn't have a regular prayer group for um, you know, the work of global missions, then just start one. Just, just after church one night, just say, look, first Sunday of every month, we're just going to get together for 10 minutes after church and we're going to pray for the missionaries um, or whatever it's going to be. Get out there and start praying for the missionaries. Yeah, super good. The other kind of interesting thing she spoke about was how she didn't think she was going to be accepted by CMS. Mm, I thought it was really and she kind of presumed that, oh, they'll say no and then I'll move on. Yeah. And how that was partly due to just she was an introvert and is yeah. an introvert and yeah. thought, oh, that means I can't get in front of people and so I'm not really suitable for ministry. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing she said in that. Um, for me, it's different because I, I started off being more introverted, but I've grown more extroverted through my work. And so I've, it's been the opposite for me. I'm just probably too confident in just talking in front of others and just need to just chill out a bit. <laughs> but for those of us who are just too uh, introverted and like think, oh, I don't want to speak in front of, front of people. Yeah. It's comforting to hear from her that actually you'll be all right. There's lots of ministry. In fact, most ministry is in front of others. It's one-to-one and in groups and to those types of settings. Yeah, I mean, two things that struck me. Firstly, a really great testimony, a testimony to CMS as a mission organisation 
that instead of having, in a sense, such a, uh, a narrow view of the particular roles that they wanted people to fill to go into overseas mission work, they were clearly looking at, if I can infer this and discerning Kelly's character and desire, and were willing in this particular case to send her to Japan, um, uh, knowing who she was as a person. And in a sense, trying to build the ministry that she would do around her and her character and competencies. So I think that's a great testament, testimony to the mission organisation that they're willing to have certain a certain degree of flexibility um, around that. And I think the second thing, I think if I remember correctly, Kelly was saying that she'd sort of had a heart set on going to Japan and was wondering whether or not if she turned up and she said, I really want to go here, the mission agency might say, well, actually, we're the ones who decide that. Um, uh, so I, I think there's those two things. Um, I think, again, probably it's worth, um, as you know, people who are aspiring to ministry are trying to work out um, their character and the particular competencies, it's worth going and having a chat with the various mission agencies to say, look, at the moment, um, uh, this is the sort of person that I am. Here are some of the abilities and capacities and competencies that I've got. In what way might you be able to use me in the mission field? and allow the mission agency to then speak into that and be willing to accept the advice of those who are older and wiser and more experienced and actually know the mission field far better than any one of us who might be aspiring to go into ministry. Um, and then be willing to accept that. I think that's also a great process of being reminded how teachable you are and how willing you are to receive the advice and the wisdom of others who have far more experienced in that particular area. Mm. Mm. Certainly a great testimony and certainly God's using her powerfully, even yeah. though she doesn't, in fact, she does speak in front of others and has grown to Absolutely. learn to do that. And I think she did did it when she spoke at ANCOM, which is a university conference that I'm a part of and, and went to, and she spoke to me and others in the economics and business faculty and yep. she was great. So. It's interesting as well. John Piper, I think, was a big introvert and was very much afraid of preaching, apparently, right. before he went into ministry and just something happened there, obviously. So, Yeah. I think the yeah. other interesting thing, just reflecting on Kelly's sort of story, is um, almost as a bit of a throwaway line when I said, what was it? I think I said, what was it like in the first season of ministry? And she said, I felt like I didn't really do any ministry the first sort of season that I was there. I was learning the language. I was trying to work out the culture. Uh, and I think, again, it's the reminder that sometimes um, we sometimes expect immediate results. And in an age of sort of instant gratification, I think the danger would be is that we would presume, firstly, that we've worked out the solution and we just want to drop that into the people group that we're going to. And secondly, that because we live in an age of immediate gratification, that there'll be immediate work to be done and immediate fruit will be born. I think many missionaries' testimony will be the first several terms that you're going, if you're, say, doing a three- or four-year term, is building trust. It's really learning the language. It's uh, trying to get your head inside the local worldview and the local culture. And that just takes great humility and great patience and great time, actually. And so those things are actually really, really important to make sure that you've got a realistic understanding of what heading to the mission field looks like. So talking to mission agencies is really important. Talking to returned missionaries is also really important. Um, wouldn't surprise me if in many of our congregations of our listeners, 
there are sometimes returned missionaries, perhaps often in the morning congregations, they've gone and done a stint in the mission field. They've now come back. They might have retired. Go and talk to them about their experiences and about what they learnt mm. and seek the wisdom of the older, wiser person who's been out there and uh, you know done that particular work for many decades. Yeah, I think that's that's fairly helpful and yeah, I think we need to have realistic expectations, don't we, when we're over there. Absolutely. For the first time that we're not going to be able to do much for a while and that's just the way it is. Yep. And all things have a season. But yeah, there are, there are definitely great codges, not old codges, that's a bad phrase to use. Wonderful old souls who've got so much wisdom in our churches who we just underutilize. We don't go up to older people in our churches because we're afraid of them, but they've got so much wisdom to give to us so why would we be so stupid and just think we can figure it out ourselves so i like that thanks for listening to the aspire podcast if you've enjoyed the podcast and want others to consider aspiring towards ministry would you consider leaving us a review until next time